Father, we just come to you, Lord, this morning in the name of Jesus. We have access, Lord, to the Holy of Holies only because of what your son did and what your son is doing. It's a living way. It's not a dead way. It's not a closed way. It's not an impenetrable way. It's a living way. The blood and the body of your son. Oh, Father, we come through that blood and that body receiving mercy. And now we come to you, Father, and we pray for grace today to speak, grace today to hear, grace today to believe, grace today to obey. Because you said, if you are willing and you're obedient, you shall eat the best of that land. But today for us, that land is not a physical place. It's the very life of Jesus Christ. The life that overcomes. That life that is triumphant every day. A life in the supernatural realm even today takes captivity captive. Makes a spectacle of the powers of darkness and brings joy to our Father to see His children overcoming the powers of darkness. We plead for that grace and we receive it by faith and we pray, Lord, speak to us. We sit at your feet, speak to us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we come back to the Word of God and we look into the Word of God, please remember, don't miss the big picture and that's the picture. We are not just preaching the word of God or the gospel. We are preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. When I was, when my eyes were closed, there were four people. When it opened, there are only three. Okay, the fourth has come. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was wondering whether the worship leader had been raptured and we, we were left behind. <laughs> okay. Okay. So here we are. We are just this perfect number five, okay? Just five, the number of grace. So remember, this is the gospel of the kingdom of God. In Matthew twenty four fourteen, Jesus will say, okay, entire list of terrible things that are happening and will happen. And then he ends by saying, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. Okay? Please remember the gospel has to be a gospel of the kingdom. As long as it is not about the kingdom, about the kingdom, you will realize there is not much conflict. The actual conflict from the pulpit, even for the hearers, comes when it is the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, we, I'm not getting into that, but keep that in the picture. If you look in the book of Acts, you're not, not turning to the book of Acts. And I say rhetorically, when you turn to the book of, look in the book of Acts, there are two things that will always happen when Paul to, goes to preach. He goes to the synagogue, and there will be two kinds of people. There will be the Greeks. Some places the Greeks are also there. Different cities he goes, okay? So he... You, the, the Jews get offended with him because it's the gospel of the kingdom, meaning there's a righteousness that comes apart from the law. And they get mad. They get mad because that's the gospel of the kingdom. 
Your righteousness means nothing. Your works mean nothing. You can keep the whole law and you will be judged. It is a righteousness that comes from God apart from the law. And the others also, if you look in one of the particular cases, okay, you don't have to go there, you can do a Google, uh, no, a Bible search and you'll get that very easy, very easy, okay? And uh, the people get all agitated, Paul is not there, they will take him out very fast and uh, they pull one of the leaders of the city called Jason, Jason, okay? And uh, they will, one of the words they use is that they will say that this man is preaching about Christ as king. They turn the whole, whole city, this thing, okay? It's about the king. This is the gospel about the kingdom. As long as you don't preach about a faith, a righteousness that comes by faith apart from the law, absolutely dependent upon Christ Jesus, that's the gospel of the kingdom, or about Jesus asking, both are connected, asking the lordship, total lordship of Jesus Christ, there's no conflict. There's no conflict. So much of what we hear, okay, much of what we hear does not upset people. The what is being preached over there. Because it's the gospel about the people. It's not the gospel about the kingdom. Okay, gospel about the kingdom. That keeps people all very happy. You know, I am okay, you are okay. But when Christ comes, you will realize no one is okay. Because this is the gospel about the kingdom. So please understand that the gospel of the kingdom will cut through the self. There will be no self left. It will be the lordship of Jesus Christ and him alone. So, salvation demands that total transformation. One person at a time, one day at a time. Constant. We go, got up today in the morning and the struggle also has started, right? Okay. Struggle has started. It's a cold, nice day. You know, you want to sleep long, but then <laughs> the Spirit of God will wake you up before your alarm. That is the test. That is the test. Okay. That is the test. Before your alarm. Okay. So, okay. So, will you live by faith and faith alone? That's the thing. Not will you live by faith. Will you live by faith alone? Because it says, people shall walk by faith and not by sight. Okay? When that not by sight means faith alone. Live and walk. There are no other options. And every day, suddenly when we realize, when we come to this, this fact about faith, it's a battle. And Paul will talk about faith as a battle. You'll talk about faith as a race, as a journey. And then at the end, you should have realized you have kept the fundamental precepts about faith. Whatever God has taught you, I have kept the faith. Okay, I built my house. So like I said, 146 days into this ministry of lockdown, we started two days before lockdown and we have continued. Okay, Monday was the day the lockdown began officially and we started the ministry on Saturday. Okay. So we were two days ahead of Modi. But what happens is, now 146 days into the pandemic, in so many ways it's still lockdown. People are working, are working online. There is fear, there is this lockdown going on. But what can happen, this is the problem with the human mentality when we live in the material. Even the lockdown can become the norm. Okay, can become the norm. And we get, get so, soon get adapted to it. We adjust to it. This is the problem. This is the problem. Remember the old illustration about how to kill the frog slowly? You can't put him in boiling water. He will jump out. But put him in cold water. Put the, the vessel in a sim fire at simmer. 
he will die. He won't jump out. He won't jump out. Okay. And that's how the devil does. Okay. The devil does. Okay. We do realize that uh, the pandemic is also killing people spiritually. Spiritually. There was a question a pastor asked. How many people do you need to make a nation pagan? <laughs> he was asking about US. Right now they say less than 13 or 12 percent of Christians are watching online, church online, of Christians. We're not talking the whole population. So we still in the East think about America as a Christian nation, but actually it's a pagan nation. It's a pagan nation. Okay, it's a pagan. I don't think there's any Christian nations left. No Christian nations left. Because if you want to talk about a nation, and we live in an era of democracy, and uh, democracy is always the rule of the majority, and the majority in every nation, every nation is pagan. Is pagan. So there are, technically there are no Christian nations left. But thank God his promises are that one will put a thousand to flee. In the spiritual realm, thank God it's not a democracy. If spiritual realm it was a democracy, the numbers win. But thank God in spiritual realm it does not work that way. The rule of one man called Christ Jesus. Okay, so the problem is we can get adapted to that very, 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 you know, fast. Remember when we stopped on Sunday, we were looking at John chapter 5. Remember the man, that man, 5 and verse 6. 5 verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he already had been in that condition a long time. Okay? Jesus knew this man was there for a long time. He understood his condition for a long time. But one of the fundamental things which you need to realize about this particular man, like there are many gates and people come through different gates. Okay? Different gates. And people don't come in through the sheep gate. Sheep gate was to bring the sheep for sacrifices. People actually come through other gates. So there is a pool here where the sick are lying. And they are lying for the stirring of the waters. And uh, he asked, he probably found out, this is the man who has been there the longest, 38 years. Meaning 38 years with an infirmity. And he's still not adapted to it. Still looking for a breakthrough. Okay, we got so used to 146 days of pandemic. We got used to it. Got used to it. Most of the world, so many of them are okay with it. They adapted, but here is a man who did not adapt to it. Okay, so that's what we are talking about. Be very, very careful, because the epidemic is just a foretaste to the world of what of the things that are to come. Just a portrait, just a, like a teaser. This is nothing. This is nothing, just a teaser. Because if you look through the book of Revelation, okay, and we will see uh, the seven seals will be broken. Seven, 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 sevens. And uh, when the fifth seal is broken, and there are different plagues, okay, we haven't even come to that point at all. <laughs> just look at what actually happens in Revelation 9 and verse 15 and verse 18 when we come to that point. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year. Can you look at it? God's timing. 
We let's, we let's read it the other way. The year, the month, the day and the hour. There are angels prepared for They're just waiting. They, they, know, they know their appointed time. They won't do anything before that. They know their appointed time. The year, the month, the day and the hour. And they were released to kill a third of mankind. A third of mankind. Let's say population, let's put it easy to, it's 9 billion by then. 3 billion are gone. We are worried about uh, pandemic uh, reaching like how many hundred thousand and we are panicking. We are not talking about that. We are talking about three billion. The thing you think is that, think about three billion people dying in an hour. How do you bury them? How do you bury them? Okay, think. This is real pictures given. One third is gone. In verse 18, okay. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, the smoke and brimstone which came out of their mouths. Okay, one third. Okay, three plagues. So, this is just a teaser. If you look at the actual picture of what is coming, this epidemic is just a teaser. And God is saying, I'm just trying to warn you. I'm just trying to prepare my church. See, the issue is not with the world. The issue is with the church. The church is the only one who has foreknowledge of all these things. But the fact of the matter is, most Christians have never read uh, the book of Revelation. Okay, they don't even read. They don't even read their Bible. But what you will see is, in spite of these unbelievable judgments of God, in verse 20 and 21, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorcery or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So two, two levels. First, they don't repent of their idolatry. And then they don't repent of their works. You see, the idol and the works go together. Okay, of any pagan god in history, you look, any Roman, I'm just sticking to the ancient ones. The Romans, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, all these gods were immoral. And all these gods were thieves. If you read the history, they were thieves. They will steal each other's wives also. Okay, if you look at that, if you look at the Roman and other thing, and all they will fight and kill and all kind of things, crazy stuff they do. So idols and the works, they go together. Okay, and God says nobody repented. Nobody repented in spite. Okay. So we have to ask this question, is God the author of evil? No. But as a just and a righteous God, a judgment will come. Think about it. Is death bad? Yes. Okay. If death happens, isn't it evil? Okay. But when the Supreme Court passes a sentence for somebody to be hanged to to death, do you think that judgment is evil? No. It's a righteous judgment, right? But what is if you take that hanging? If oh, there is a man hanging. Who did this evil deed? And then you realize the court did. <laughs> you don't call it evil. You don't call it evil. Okay, so don't separate these two facts. Okay, so is COVID-19 from God? I don't know. But if it's a judgment from God, is it evil? Oh, 
Okay, it's not evil. Just a teaser. Let us say this is God's cup of wrath. Okay. Now we know God's hand is very steady, but maybe it shook a little. <laughs> and, and a drop fell off. Okay, a drop fell off. But the church has to see it differently. Has to see it differently and say God is warning the church. Say, prepare, prepare. You guys know what is happening. Okay? He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. And we saw on Sunday, 38 years, this man was trapped at that pool. 38 years, infirm, his legs unable to move, stuck. Life had become still for him. Okay, that's what had happened. Nothing had changed. And we know we have studied this earlier that the only other place 38 is mentioned in the Bible is when Israel left Egypt and came to Kadesh Barnea. It was two years. The spies went in, came back, brought a report. Then the narrative changed and all the people rebelled. And God said, none of you will enter into the promised land. After that, they wandered in the wilderness 38 years. So this man is the representative of anybody who had heard the word of God, did not obey, did not believe. And after that, are they saved? Yes. Are they going anywhere? Nowhere. The scenery is the same. The life is the same. The prayers are the same. The daily devotions are the same. They have a religious life. That's all they are. They are. And they are bitter and mad and complaining and grumbling inside without realizing it was right. In the New Covenant, of course, it's a different thing. Okay, You can always break that chain. He's a chain breaker Okay, and come out. So, But if you look at it, was he stuck there 38 years because of his sin? The presumption is yes, because Jesus gives him in verse 14, do not sin. Okay, you don't have to go there. Do not sin or something. Worse will happen. Okay, and we will see that the king comes there and sets him free. The king comes in and sets him free. Nobody told him what he needs to do. But deep inside, he knew what he needed to do. He did not even know it was the king who came. He did not know Jesus. So he knew uh, that he needed to worship. Okay? So the question is, is there hope in judgment? Yes. He had been judged for 38 years. And the king came and extended the hand of mercy. Okay? And what Paul, that's what Paul talks about in Romans 12. Knowing, therefore, the mercies of God. He took his vessel, that is his body, went to the temple to worship. So the question is, in these 146 days, are we changing? Are we falling away? Or are we drawing closer to God? Are we drawing closer and closer to God? Like, we are here for 146 days. We are preaching. We are praising. We are praying. And the whole thing about this online thing is that it is like that man. God has left accountability totally into the hands of people. No pastor is going to come and check. If you are on YouTube and you say, Hello, we will know you are there. Otherwise, two watching, three watching, nine watching, hundred watching, then incognito watching, which we will, nobody will know. You know, I don't know whether God also knows, wants to know who are watching, unless they are in underground churches. Okay, then he understands. Okay, so nobody knows. Nobody even knows. God has left accountability completely to the individual now. Whether you want to praise, whether you want to pray, whether you want to study and change. So the question is, has it changed our lives? Our prayer life? Okay, because in the midst of judgment, 
hope can be birthed. Church can emerge, emerge out of this stronger than before. Maybe not larger. Larger. Like for us, it's much, much larger. Those days when we were in the physical and preached and the day we are on virtual, the virtual crowd is so much bigger. Okay. Virtual crowd is so much bigger. Okay, but that's not the point. The point is, in the midst of judgment, hope can be birthed. Jesus walks in, touches a man, he walks away free, and he worships. At the end of the beautiful part of it is that he's also found in the temple worshipping. So out of it, something great came. And Jesus meets him, gives him a word, and then he goes out of the temple, proclaiming to everybody, it is Jesus who healed me. So you see how everything is there. There is a prayer. There is nobody to heal me. There is praise. He goes to the temple and praises. And then he goes out and proclaims the one who healed me. Okay? So that is what should come out of judgment. Okay? There is hope birth. So today, we shall look at a particular, two, two different aspects we will look. What, how do we look at what is happening and how do we emerge out of it? In the book of Numbers, you will see when the judgment of Korah and company takes place. Okay, Korah, Datan, and Abiram. These were the leaders. And they gathered another 250 guys or something, brought them, and they're rebel against Moses. Okay? And they gathered the people. You see, you see, that's, that's how a mob gathers. Mob will need somebody to gather them. Somebody to gather them. So this mob gathers. They call themselves leaders, but they are mob leaders. That's what happening around the world. Happened in Bangalore two days back. Some nonsensical post something. The mob comes. Three people are dead. They attack. You know what happened in Bangalore two days. That's how mobs do. And the mobs has been at Portland and Seattle. All these places. These are mobs. Mobs. Okay. Here in this case, this is a religious mob. And three leaders' names are given. Kora, Datan, and Abiram. And God will judge them like he never judged till then. Okay? If you go to number 16 and verses 30 to 34. The judgment comes through the man, Moses. Poor Moses, okay? He's such a loving, merciful, kind man. Okay? He doesn't have the knowledge and the strength and the capacity of God. But through that mouth itself, judgment has to be passed. Number 16, if you go to verse 30. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens his mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, then they go down alive into the pit. You will understand these men have been rejected by the, have rejected the Lord. And now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, the ground split apart under them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they all, and all those with them went down, alive into the pit. The earth closed over them. They perished from among the assembly. Then all the Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. So, okay. Though there are three leaders, you have uh, Korah alone being mentioned at the end. So you know he was the ringleader. Okay. He was the main guy. And the whole thing goes. Now think about it. <clears throat> you would naturally think when something like this would happen, Right before your eyes. That would humble the people, right? Really humble the people. And they would have that fear, the terror of God falling upon them. But that's not what happens. Okay? It lasts only a night. Morning, the narrative changes. Because a rebel is always a rebel. 
The sinner, that's always said, the sinner and the rebel are two different things. Okay, so if you come to verse 41, 41. On the next day, all the congregation of children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. You see how they change the narrative? Change the narrative. Meaning, basically what are they saying? They were actually godly leaders and we are also godly people. You are into black magic. You are using occult. Remember, this is what they told about Jesus also. You are using the power of Beelzebub. Okay? People are also saying, you are using occult to kill the people of God. You are doing some jadu over here. Okay? You are doing a jadu over here. And now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of the meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. God appeared now. Okay? And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Then, and they fell on their faces. Okay? Now God says, Forget the leader. I'm going to get rid of this entire crowd. And they fell on their faces. Okay, there are a lot of things which you need to understand. Okay, God speaks to Moses. He doesn't speak to Aaron. Okay, it's simply because Aaron is the high priest, but Moses is the only one who has learned to hear. Okay, you could be the high priest, but that does not mean your office, which has been given, has taught you how to hear from God. So Moses is the one. Even Aaron has to hear from Moses what God is telling. Moses said to Aaron, take a censer, put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it, take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded, ran into the midst of the assembly and already the plague had begun among the people, so he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. Okay, we know that 14,600 people died. Okay, so this scrolling is also there, also in Moses' camp. Okay, 14,600 is dying. Like you have this, every news channel you will see epidemic, how many, if infected, how many are dying. But nobody is able to stop it. But when the wrath of God came in the camp of Israel, two men stopped it. Okay, they stood between the dead and the living. They stood between the dead and the living. Okay, if you come to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. It's talking about positionally and functionally, and then ultimately eternally. God has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. Spiritually, there is a worse plague that is happening than COVID-19. People are dying in their sins. It's worse than COVID-19. They're literally dying in their sins. Okay? And God has put the church the church is the only set of people, the believing church, the church with the knowledge of God, are the only ones who can stand between the living and the dead and stop this plague. Nobody else can. Okay? And the function of the church, primarily the function of the church, let's leave the offices, other offices aside. The function of the 
church, how does it exercise the power, the authority, the will of God? Thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. His will is that no one should perish. Okay? And for that purpose, the will of God, he gives us power and authority. And how does the church function? The church functions basically as kings and priests. Okay, So you have these two pictures over there. The king in that picture is Moses. The priest in that picture is Aaron. Two people who are functioning as king and priest. God's king on earth and God's priest on earth. Okay, And they stand there. So the king will proclaim. The priest will stand in the gap and intercede. Okay, He's the one who proclaims. He's the one who hears. He's the one who knows what to do. Okay, he will say, Aaron, do this, do this, do this. He doesn't do that. Aaron does that. Okay, so you need to understand, Moses is the king there, a type of the king, and Aaron is a type of the priest. Not like earthly kings and earthly priests. These two first will fall on their face before God and plead for mercy. The earthly, it's a different thing. Okay, that's a difference. It's, it's been... Uh, pumped in and empowered by hell itself. The godly is different. Okay, And you will see, between these two people, they actually stop the plague. They actually stop the plague. Okay, Now, we don't worry about COVID-19 so much. Okay, COVID-19 is there. We only pray, Lord, let people not just die without knowing you. So, let's get into the details and learn what God tries to teach it because these are all physical examples in the Bible. Okay, Old Testament is the shadow and Christ is the substance. So there is a pattern in the Old Testament by which we learn the spiritual truths. And we can do that sitting in the comfort of our homes. Okay, how do I learn to function in the kingdom? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay, put that first. Now, first thing we need to ask is, are our minds on the things that God has said? Or are we more worried about the things that he should be adding? This is the problem. Okay, remember the sudden end when Jesus says, he'll be like the days of Lot and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. People will be still thinking about what to buy, what to sell, what to eat, what to drink, what to build, whom to marry, when to marry. This will be their thoughts. And none of these things is putting the kingdom first. These are things which God will add. God will add. Okay. So the first thing we need to realize is, how am I functioning as his representative on earth? As a king or a priest. Is his kingdom and his will at the top of my mind? If it is not, how do I function? How do I function? Okay, so Old Testament pictures are there. So let's go back to 17, uh, number 17 that we were looking at, uh, 16 and verse 46. Okay, so Moses said to Aaron, so we have to look at carefully as Moses heard from God. And Moses understands the ways of God. See, why is Moses able to tell Aaron? God is able to speak to Moses what he is going to do. But what? why is Moses able to know what Aaron should do to stop what God is about to do? Because he has understood the ways of God. He's understood the ways of God. This is what we talk about. You know, The whole purpose is to know the ways of God. 
that's from where we function. And that was his prayer. See, Aaron doesn't know what to do. He's a high priest with all his costume, but he doesn't know what to do. Hmm? What is it? There are a lot of people around the world with their clerical collar and they all come, but they don't know what to do. And Aaron is one of that. Okay? He doesn't know the ways of God. You have a judgment over here. You have something that is happening over here. If you don't know what to do, if you don't know what to do, you will die. Let me give a simple practical example because we are in India and it is monsoon, it is raining. You know, a lot of accidents take place when it is raining. Okay, One of the reasons accidents take place when it is raining is because in India, especially is because the two-wheelers are not there. Our route, our traffic is jammed by two-wheelers. When it rains, the two wheelers are not there. So the road looks kind of clear. And people speed and they have accidents. The thing is that, you know, you have your tire. You have your tire. And you have the treads or treed or whatever you call it, treads on the tire. Okay? What happens is, if you look at the treads that is on the tire, when it, it what happens is, it is also there when it's raining, especially for the water to come out. The water goes in and the water comes out and the tire gets its grip on the road, which is wet. But when it is raining too much or there is water logging on the road, young people love speeding through it. What happens is the treads cannot take the volume of water anymore. Now your tire is not actually hitting the road, it's hitting the water. You slip and you, you, have, you die. It's a simple thing. Road is clear. Let me slow down. Now, that's not what you think normally. The road is clear, let me speed. The problem is, it's raining. It's raining. And there is water on the ground. You speed, instead of going straight, it will go like this. You will hit the breaker and you may die. That's how it takes place. So, when water is logging, simple. That's why people say, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. These are all simple knowledge. Simple things. Getting a driving license doesn't mean, doesn't mean actually you know how to drive. Okay, you mean to drive. So in the same way, you know, why are we studying the word of God? What is the fundamental purpose of study? We want to know God. We want to know his ways. Okay, so Aaron has got his costume, but he doesn't know the ways of God. Moses has asked a thing, Lord, teach me your ways. And Moses knows the ways of God. So he gives him the instruction. Aaron, this is what you need to do because you are the priest. This is how you are supposed to function. You are the priest. Bosses, do you know what this uniform means? Uniform means this is how you need to act. Let me tell you what you are supposed to do. First thing he says, take a censer. Take a censer. Put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it. And take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. So he tells him something. Okay? Okay, so you have old covenant pattern. And you need new covenant practice. Okay, so he says, take a censer. Put fire in it. Wait a second. Put fire in it from the altar. You cannot have any fire. Put fire in it from the altar. And then take that incense and put incense on that fire. And then go and stand in the middle of the congregation. Make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord and the plague has begun. He's able to say, this is the Lord's wrath. And people will die. The plague has begun. Okay? That is how. So the first thing we need to realize, who is the censor right now? We are the censor. 
we don't do like in orthodox churches go with the Dupakuti in Kerala and all, all this thing with the smoke and they go and with the topi and they do all the orthodox churches and all. It's a symbol of which should happen spiritually, practically now. All those things make it. We are the sensor. We are the sensor. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We are the sensor. Okay? Remember, we are the sensor. Ephesians 6, 6, 18 and Jude 20. 6, 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, when he came upon, uh, you see, they prayed for 10 days. They prayed for 10 days. On the 10th day, their prayer changed because fire came. The Holy Spirit came. Now their tongues are on fire because the Holy Spirit has empowered them with his fire and with power. So God is talking about, you are a censor. You are a censor. Okay? But the censor in itself still is not going to do anything. You are a good vessel. You are a holy vessel. You are a clean vessel. But where is the fire? Where is the fire? Timothy is a very good vessel. My beloved son. I have no son like you. But where is the fire? Where is the fire? Okay. What's the, what's the point of having a clean, holy vessel with no fire in it? It's a fire that empowers it. Fire that empowers it. The Bible says, take your censer and take fire from the altar. In the new covenant, that fire is the fire of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens to the church of Laodicea. There is no fire. It's no fire at all. Absent. The Holy Spirit is completely absent there. And God comes and says, you know what? Either be on fire or get out. Be cold. Be cold. Okay, be cold. There's no fire. Okay, so understand what the Bible is talking about. Okay, you need fire. Compassion alone is not going to work. Okay, Aaron has compassion. It's his people who are dying. But it's not going to make any difference. It's not going to make and you cannot add profane fire either. You will also die in the plague. Okay, that's what happened to Aaron's own sons. They died. They died. Any fire won't do. Okay, compassion alone won't do. Purpose alone won't do. You, we, you and I and we need Holy Ghost fire. Holy Ghost fire. And that's what the first thing he tells Aaron. Aaron, take your censer and take fire from the altar. Fire from the altar. Okay, fire from the altar. Let's go back to verse 46. Yes. Fire from the altar. And then what do you need to put? You need to put incense on it. Incense on it. Now we know from Revelation chapter 8, 3 and Psalm 141 verse 2 what incense means actually in the new covenant and the old covenant what it really represented. Another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Okay, so he is offering something or what is he mixing it with? The prayers of the saints. So what is the incense represents actually? It's the prayers of the saints. Incense represents prayer. Let my prayer be said before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. 
Okay, that's what men are called to do, to pray with a lifting up. Okay, so there is prayer. Okay, so what is happening over there, what you need to understand is that you need to understand, because we have to stop this plague. Worse than COVID-19, people are dying in their sins, and death is eating up a whole, whole nations are being eaten away by this plague of spiritual, total spiritual blindness. So he is asked, go to the tent of meeting, take your censer, put a fire on your censer, and put what? Incense on it. Now we know what incense represents. Incense represents prayer. Now, if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 30, verse 34 to 38, the Lord said to Moses, take sweet. Okay, four things were mentioned, sweet spices. What are they? I don't know how to pronounce that. Stat, uh, onika, not anika, but onika, <laughs> galbanum, and pure frankincense. Four things, okay? With these sweet spices. They shall be equal amount of each. Equal amount of each. And you shall make of these an incense, a compound, according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. Okay? And you shall beat some of it very fine, put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting, where I will meet with you, it shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourself according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. So the Bible is very clear about it. It talks about this incense that was made. It had primarily four things that were mentioned. And if you turn with me to, uh, yeah, Timothy, right? Timothy, chapter, yeah, chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So that it comes for overall. There are so many things, but overall, four ingredients are there. Okay, four ingredients are there. Okay, four ingredients are there. So there's a spiritual breakdown in the new covenant of the physical components in the old covenant. That's what Paul is talking about. He talks about this is how we break down the old covenant. That is his shadow. We are the substance. Now, we don't have to go around looking for all these substances and make this thing. No, We used to do that. It, I, I loved it because in the evening, uh, in every evening in my grandfather's house where I grew up as a teenager, as a young kid from the age of like, no, till class 6 to class 12, every evening uh, we lit, we had a brass thing in the sense of, and we brought, burned the coconut shells and took the, this thing. And then we put the incense in. I don't know. I mean, it was frankincense you get to buy. And every month we went and bought a load from the shop. And we put that. It smelled good. But I don't know whether it was to worship God or to keep the insects away. I'm not very sure what the reason was. Okay, It worked both ways. Okay, But the thing is that, you know, it looks cool. But. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the spiritual truth about it. The spiritual truth about it. And that's what God is talking about. You need fire. You need incense. You need incense. You need incense. You need to have a prayer life which is empowered by the fire of the Holy Spirit. You and your thanksgiving has to be empowered by the fire of the Holy Spirit. Giving of thanks. Okay. 
And Paul and Silas were giving thanks, praising God, singing, okay, giving thanks. It was empowered by the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit itself came over there. Okay, that's what it's talking about. There is this, you can't do these things in the flesh and expect a spiritual response. God is spirit. Okay, you have to expect God to intervene. And your expectation is that, Lord, I'm going to do these things I want you. I want you to do because, like I said, otherwise it's not going to, it's not going to work. Okay, so you have these four facets primarily of prayer, which is given over there, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Okay, that's what Aaron is going to do. Now let's go back to our uh, text and verse 47. We read 46, okay, yeah, 16, 47. And Aaron took it as Moses commanded. Okay, please be very, very careful. You have to obey what God has spoken. Okay, as God has spoken. And let's be very, very clear about this. Even in the 21st century, even though God wants to speak to everyone individually, the fact is that most people don't hear. So if there is somebody who hears and tells, this is what God wants you to do, and you look into scripture and agrees with scripture, just do. No, I'm not going to do until I hear personally from God. Okay, then individualism comes in. Okay, individualism comes in. Here what happens is Aaron took it as Moses commanded. Okay, he took it as Moses commanded. And then scripture says, and ran. The question is that, you will see suddenly, there is an urgency. There is an urgency that the situation demands. And we need to realize, is there that urgency in our lives? That's what I said, we can get so close, so complacent, because you know, we are used to a new lifestyle. Used to a new life. And this is one of these fundamental things which you need to realize. Okay, Is there a sense of urgency? I always think about the prodigal son's father. Think of the prodigal son's father. Okay, he had no clue whether the son would come back, and if he came back, he had no clue when the son, which day, son would come back. But he saw him coming. What does that mean? What does that show you? It shows you that he used to go and watch every day. He knows old system. People come in the morning. People come in the evening. Or usually, travelers come in the evening. And every evening, when these crowds from different places come. There is his father watching. He never stopped watching. There was this urgency in him. He never lost it. You never see the mother in the picture at all. That means she never stopped praying. Never stopped praying. You know? And that's my fundamental thing. We have so many things happening in our lives. There are fundamental things are there which are up in your priority list for God. And in those things, is there a priority? Is there a fervency? Is there an urgency? Moses, sorry, Aaron ran. When it comes to intercession, because others are dying, and you know you have you have a solution. Solution, no? That's why we still, I mean, we are not greater than anybody, but we sense something was coming, and we are still preaching, 
Not looking at how many are listening and how many are not listening. Because the urgency is in us to preach. Because we know we have a solution to this situation. And the solution is of God and not ourselves. So whoever will receive, let them receive. Let them receive. And that's what God is talking about. Is there an urgency? Has something changed in your prayer life? In this 146 days, everybody is not preaching. The two of us preach. But everybody is called to pray. And that's something anybody can do. And that's what God is talking about. In your homes, all those who are listening, has something changed? Because what does COVID-19 do? It kills people. But what is death? The physical death is only a temporary sign of an eternal death. This, this physical death is nothing. Jesus said, don't worry about those who can kill your body. Don't even bother about it. Fear him who after you are dead will throw your soul into eternity, eternal fire. That's what you need to fear. So the symbol of death and disease all around, we who are God's people should give us a picture of the spiritual reality of spiritual disease and spiritual death. And that should create a fervency in us, an urgency in us. That's what I said, there is a sign in the gospel according to John. This was one of his first signs, the second sign. But people saw the sign and they missed the message. Missed the message. And that's what happened. They missed the message. And this one finally got upset. He said, oh, I will give you only one sign, the sign of John. A wicked and an adulterous generation asked for a sign. Why do they keep on asking for this sign? Because they're missing the message. From sign number one, wedding at Cana, to sign number seven, the signs were the same. Sorry, the messages were the same. <laughs> messages were the same. The, there was only one message in eight signs. Only one message. That's what? Believe in me. That is the work of God. Believe in me. I want to do the works of God. Believe in me. Believe in me. Believe in me. Every word that I say is true. If I say I have come to save you, it is true. If I say I will come back to take you, it is true. If I say I will come back to judge the world, it is true. Every word I have spoken is true. There's only one message behind every sign. The signs may look different. One place it is wine, water turned to wine. In another man, a rich man's son got healed at the word. Another, a lame man works after 38. Another, 5,000 are fed with five loaves and two fish. Another place you will see Jesus walk on water. Another place you will see Lazarus coming after four days. The message is the same. I mean what I say. I say what I mean. Believe in me. Believe in me. Nothing has changed. But the problem is, we see the signs, we miss the message. And we see the sign for 146 days for India, I'm talking about. 44 days, the sign has been there. Lockdown. 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 It's been there. And the pandemic is not decreasing, especially in our country. For once, we will get a gold medal. We will reach the top. <laughs> okay. Maximum number of infected. I think we already reached that. Nobody is actually testing. There's hardly any testing. Okay, hardly any testing here. Okay, so think about it. If like US, we had tested 65 million people, at 70 million people, what would be our number? Our number. Okay, so please, the sign is right there before us. But the question is, is there an urgency? 
In the things of God is there an urgency. Now it's death. Disease and death. There is an urgency. Aaron is running. Are people running to their prayer closets? And crying out for their loved ones? Because we have all old people in our families. They are the most fragile. Like my mother is old. I know my mother is old. And mother has not been well. My wife prays over my mother seven times a day. Over my mother. Not praying for my mother. Over my mother seven times a day. If you think about it, isn't it blessed to have a daughter-in-law like that? She's not a daughter, she's a daughter-in-law. The daughter-in-law. Because we understand fundamentals. It's not her body that is so important. It's her spirit, Lord. Touch her, touch her, touch her, touch her, touch her, touch her. And you need to realize this. She's got five children. That would mean she's got five in-laws. Daughter-in-laws, three daughter-in-laws and two sons-in-laws. So altogether ten. But she clings to this one. Clings to this one. She'll say, sit here, sit here. Don't go away. When she's not feeling good, don't go away from there. Or if you're sitting, sit there with the door open where I can see you. Don't go from my sight. Don't go from my sight. You pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. We are talking about it. Simply we are talking about prayer. We all have people, fragile people. The physically, not the physically, are not the ones. Spiritually, weak people in our households. Think about it. Think about it. Are we standing in the gap? Is there an urgency? That's what is happening. There's an urgency here. He ran. He ran. Is there an urgency about the things of God? Okay. Suddenly, Jesus and two angels appeared to Abraham's tent. And he recognized. There was an urgency. Scripture says, he ran. He ran. Prepare a meal. I mean, is there an urgency when you wake up in the morning to fellowship with God? But that represents fellowship. Abraham is the father of faith. He's fellowshipping with God face to face for the first time. God has come to eat a meal in his house. <laughs> that's what fellowship. And that's what happening in the Laodicean church. Nothing at all. <laughs> Jesus is standing at the door and says, can you give me a meal? I will come in and my father will fellowship. <laughs> church is God. said, we don't need anything. <laughs> There's no urgency at all. <laughs> urgency at all. That's what God is talking about. Is there an urgency for fellowship with God? Is there an urgency to intercede for those who are dying? Forget the people, the world. We are not talking about empathy. Empathy is like for people you do not know. What about sympathy for the people you know? Let's forget empathy. That's a bigger word. Let's go to sympathy. (laughs) The world is all, all warped. They are more worried about a cat dying and a dog dying and injured, endangered species. One, uh, one whale over there. I know everybody will go out this thing about it. And some social media will show how this man rescued a cat that was caught in a... Good for the cat. But what about the people who are perishing? They are dying on the streets. Dying in homes. Is there an urgency to fellowship with God? Is there an urgency to save the people whom God is God loves? It is after that you will see there was an urge, a fervency to serve God and also stand before God and to plead for Sodom and Gomorrah. Both was there in Abraham. Both was there in Abraham, the father of faith. Okay, 
to fellowship with God and to intercede. And that's what God is talking about. Okay, He's talking about, He's teaching us stuff. Okay, He said, you saw a plague is happening. People are dying. And verse 48, and He stood, yeah, He stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. So the question is, what did he do? He stood there in the gap. How long did he stand until the plague stopped? How long will you stand between the dead and the living? How long will you stand? God says, how long? Will you? How, how long will you continue praying? How long will you continue praising? How long will you continue preaching? Until the plague stops. Until this stops. That's why he says, he didn't say occupy, he says occupy till I come. How long? Either till I die or he comes. How long? It's a question. There he stood. He stood right there. If you look at it, he stood right there. Between the dead and the living. Row after row after row of people are dying, falling. And he stood there, no mask, no PPE kits, nothing. He stood there. All he had was a sensor with smoke rising. And the plague stopped. And the plague stopped at him. Suddenly you have two this thing. Aaron is standing here. One side is all dead people. Other side is all living people. And he stood there in the mean. And all you can see is smoke rising. And God says, you can stop the tide of death by your prayers. By your prayers. You can stop it. Will you stand in the gap? Will you stand there and say, Lord, not under my watch. Lord, not under my watch. Will I let people just die and go to hell? So, so think about it. What is that we can do? Can we praise? Praise? Can we pray? Pray. Can you preach? Preach. Maybe you're better in singing like Peter. Praise God. Praise God. Keep praising. Don't stop. Keep praising. Keep praising. Maybe you're really good in praying. Keep praying. Don't stop. Maybe you're good in preaching. That's your gift. Right? Think about it. No? If you walk, if you go into ocean seas, and especially developed nations and all, if you go a little further from the shore, you will see these things in the middle of the water, this thing floating. Okay? Basically, they are lifesavers. They are lifesavers. Okay? Because maybe you are... Uh, a swimmer, maybe like me, I'll be grade minus. I can barely swim. I have five children. I don't know whether they're humans or fish, especially the youngest one. You know, <laughs> they were born to swim, all five of them. So, but even if you are the best swimmer in the world, you have only a certain level of energy. Okay, after that. So imagine you fell off or something. What do you do until help comes in? You cling to this. You cling to that. It's a lifesaver. You cling to this. All around you, waves are breaking over you. But you cling to this because this is there. You cling to it. You will survive till rescue comes. Okay? It's in the same way. Every day when we get in waves of trouble and depression, oppression, God says, hang in there and praise me. Your lifesaver. It's your lifesaver. Hang in there. Praise me. That's how you keep your head above the waters. Praise me through. Pray without ceasing. 
be ready to preach in season or off season. You look in all these three things, the Bible says. That prayer, sacrifice of praise, it's going for it. It's a sacrifice because you want to go down under. But God says, keep praise. Praise. Keep praising. Keep praying. Keep proclaiming my word. Don't let the situation overwhelm you. And there he stood. Between the dead and the living. He stood. And so the plague was stopped. The question is, can will we stand? Will we stand? There is incense. There is smoke. There was fire. And there was a censer. In Ezekiel 22, verse 30 and 31. Ezekiel, yeah, Ezekiel 22, verse 30 and 31. I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. I found no. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. You know, on that day, Moses was there. Otherwise, Israel would have been consumed. One man. One man. One man. God said, I look for a man. One man. At least one person who will stand. One person who will stand. So that it is not consumed. Lot and his family came out because one man stood in the gap. So they would have been consumed with Sodom and Gomorrah. But he didn't want to leave. (laughs) Aaron stood there, one man. One man knew, one man stood. And Israel was not consumed. And Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always loves to make... You know why we are not consumed? Still the world is not consumed? Because one man is still standing in the gap. One man. One man. He is the high priest of prayer. From him comes all the others. And they connect to him through the Holy Spirit and they pray. They become part of the priesthood. He is Melchizedek, the high priest of the new covenant. High priest of the new covenant. That's what God is talking about. Okay. So there Moses, sorry, Aaron stood. Joshua 3.17. Then the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on the dry ground in the midst of Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground. Until all the people had crossed completely over Jordan. So how long do you stand? You stand until the plague stops. You stand until the last man on the book's lamb, book of lambs, book of life crosses over. You stand. There are pictures there. How long did he stand? Okay. Even as he is standing there, running, standing there, he's seeing people falling, falling, falling. Like, you know, the curve has come down. He'll always now watching curves, no? Curve, death curve is coming down. Right? It's coming down, 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 down. It, uh, now it has come down, 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 down. Suddenly, uh, death has stopped. 
It's not that suddenly it stopped. Okay, people are falling, 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 falling. Like thousand were falling. Then he looks nine hundred, eight hundred, five hundred, hundred, fifty, ten, nine, one. Nobody is falling. Nobody is falling anymore. Okay. So you have all these epidemic pictures there in the Bible too. Okay, he stood until he saw the plague had stopped. The priest stood over them. Must have been tired. Imagine they started early in the morning and there are hundreds and thousands of people crossing a new generation. Probably 2 million, 2.5 million, 3 million, we don't know, with their cows and calves and proper, every, everything has to cross over and they are standing there. Morning till evening. Everybody is passing by. Everybody is passing by, sitting there, picnicking, everything, but they can't. Because everybody will say, oh, we crossed over, it's so tired, let's take a break. And they are spreading, but these guys can't eat, can't drink, can't do anything. They are standing there. Why? Until the last man crosses over. Okay? You understand when God puts his burden upon your heart and his fire in your bones... You do not take a break. I'm not saying physically you don't take a break. But you do not ever take a break in the spiritual. You are always conscious. This is my burden. I cannot put my burden down until the last man. And what are they holding? They are holding the burden of God. The testimony of God upon their shoulders. They are representing. Meaning, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you thus far. I am carried you for 40 years. I am taking. You know what? They are actually holding the burden of God. It is God's burden for Israel. And they represent that there, standing in the middle of the river. Okay. God is a compassionate God. God is a merciful God. Even in judgment, mercy triumphs. So Aaron is standing there holding the heart of God, the burden of God. Let mercy triumph over judgment. We will say 14,600 died. God will say only 14,600 died of 3 million. That is mercy triumphed over judgment because one man stood there holding my heart. Right? 14,600, right? That was the number, right? Did you see? Pardon? Yeah, 14,000. Think about it. We are all talking about the number of people who died in the pandemic. Put it in ratio of the population of the world. Is it mercy or is it judgment? It's mercy. Triumphing over judgment. Still mercy. Even in Revelation, what we read and all, when one third dies, it's still, two thirds are still alive. Even in judgment, mercy is triumphant. That's what God is talking about. He stood. How did he stand? Till the plague stopped. How long do we pray? Until we know the burden is lifted. Everyone is crossed over. Crossed over. And verse 50. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700. Yeah, it was 14,000. Besides those who died in Korain. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. For the plague had stopped. And the plague had stopped. And you were sure it had stopped. What do you do? You go back to your appointed place. Where is your appointed place? At the door of meeting. That's where, where God speaks to you. That's where you stand. Beside Moses. You are not standing in the gap. 
along with the dead and pointing your accusing finger. Look how many died. Or standing with the living and say, yay, my ministry is successful. I am still the unworthy servant. I go back to my appointed place and stand at the tent of meeting. There is no glory for me in this. I just am a servant. That's it. You know your position in the kingdom of God. That's where you go. And it is over. He returned to Moses. He returned to the one who sent him. You were sent by God. You were sent by men. We return to our appointed places and stand. Where? At the tabernacle of meeting. Ultimately what? It's all about God. That's the tabernacle of meeting. The place where you hear from God. You go back to that place. Okay, I heard about this calamity, Lord. You gave an answer. Calamity is over. Another day is beginning. I still need to live by faith and not by sight. Tomorrow is another day. Tomorrow's challenges are different. I still know where I need to be. I need to be at a place where I can hear from you. I need to hear from you. Because faith comes from hearing. That's why it's called the tent of meeting. Tent of meeting. If it's a meeting, then there has to be at least two people. Who do you meet there? You meet God. And God speaks. So you come back to his appointed place. Now, let us look at this, because we saw that in Revelation, sorry, Timothy 2.1, as prayer. Right? As prayer. We will look at it, one aspect of prayer, okay, the intercession. We saw what happened, we saw, what we saw is the result of intercession. Result of intercession, okay, we saw, he stood there, physical Old Testament, he took his censer, took fire from the altar, put incense, ran, stood there in the middle, and the plague stopped. And he came back, we saw. Now let us, what we say, uh, go a little more deeper into what he did. So we'll turn to a very familiar passage for us. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8. Okay, I know we have studied this many times, but every time I study, I still keep seeing new things. They were old things, but my eyes were not trained. Exodus 17, verse 8. Remember, after water, the first battle Israel is going to face in the wilderness. Till then, Exodus, uh, God had taken care of them, covered them, protected them, brought them, and now they are going to fight their first battle. And God is not going to intervene directly. He says, now, I have to teach you. I have to teach you. Okay? For so many days, Jesus prayed. And then they said, teach us to pray. We also want to pray like you. So he's teaching. So here, God is. And Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. The first battle they are going to pay. Okay? So, there are so many in the church who will only send prayer requests. And we pray. And God says, good. Pray. But now, you also need to battle, fight it out. You have to learn to fight this battle. There is a season God will carry, like parents carry their children. After that, they will put them on the ground. and say, you will totally you will fall. I will hold you by hand. So many things we have done when our children were small. Remember how fast we ran when they were learning to cycle behind them. And then one day they said, let go. They had their balance. They wobbled a few and they got it. And we were happy. They were happy. The joy of learning to pedal on your own. The joy of seeing that they are able to. 
Okay, in the same way, God also will take the process and says, I want, I want you to learn how to fight this battle. Power is mine, voice is mine, but I want you to fight. Every child has to learn to fight. So they're going to fight their battle. Okay, so let's read down further. Moses said to Joshua, now, you see, everywhere is Moses who hears. <laughs> Moses said to Aaron, Moses said to Joshua, Aaron is older than him by three years. Joshua is younger to him by at least 40 years. Okay. So your age is irrelevant. The fact matters is, are you the one who hears? Are you the one who hears? Okay. So he speaks to Aaron. He speaks to Joshua. And when they both obey what he does, there is victory. So God is not dependent upon your age. Aaron can bring the plague to a stop because he listened to what God spoke through Moses. And Joshua will defeat Amalek if he listens to what Moses speaks. So please understand how God, for he has an order in his kingdom. And he works according to that order. Moses said to Joshua, choose some men out. Okay, go out. Fight with Amalek. Remember, listen to words very, very, very carefully. Moses is telling Joshua, choose for yourself some men and go fight Amalek. He says, no, choose for us. Whatever you do, you're doing it on my behalf. You're not doing it on your own. We won't, we won't say that. We won't say that. If I were to tell Pastor Vijay, Pastor Vijay, pick somebody uh, who you want to accompany you and go. But that's not how Moses is. Though Moses is not going, Moses says, choose for us. What is he saying? If you know the story, you know, he will go down to the valley to fight Amalek and Moses will climb up the hill to intercede. But he says, I am as much involved in this battle as you are. It is our battle. We are one in the spirit. In the battle. Involved in this battle as you are. Because if you are seeing with physical eyes, Moses it seems to be doing nothing. Just sitting there like that. And say, what this poor fellow, no, he's the one who's fighting, he's the one who's got cuts, he's the one who's bleeding. What is this man doing over there? But he's as much spiritually involved in it. You see me pray, you see me preaching, but you don't see the ones who are praying. But you don't realize my success is entirely dependent also with the ones who are praying for me. And God says, do you see these pictures? That the church is involved in a corporate battle. Okay, corporate battle. And must, and I will stand, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. He does not say I will stand on the top of the hill with my hands. No. no, no, no. You know why things will work? Because we have been given power and authority. All power and authority is given in my name. So I will stand with the rod in my hand. In my name. When we pray, we pray. And we pray according to the word. That is his will. If you ask according to his will. So when we lift the rod, the rod represents two things. One is the name of God. The second is the will of God. That is the word of God. And we also raise up our hands by saying, I am in total agreement with these two. Total agreement with these two. I am a man who has surrendered my life to the name of his, my God, and to the will of my God. So my hand is also up. Otherwise, he'll be standing like this. <laughs> A lot of people stand like this. In the name of Jesus Christ, get out. But I don't agree with your word. I will do my own stuff. And God says, no, both hands. 
both hands up. Okay? Not like what they are saying uh, in the streets of America. Don't shoot hands up. If only they lifted their hands up to God, there would be peace on the streets. So we have been seeing incredible, powerful pictures from the Old Testament about New Covenant spiritual life. And verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses said to him. These are all important. <laughs> Joshua did as Moses said to him. Aaron did as Moses told him. Okay? And fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill. Three of them went up. So it was. When Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Suddenly there is nothing is mentioned about Joshua's battle. If we ever make a movie, the movie will be all about Joshua. About his damn, 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 all women, no? What all this thing? But God's movie is completely different. You don't even see Joshua's moves. You don't see Joshua's moves at all. You see how completely different human perspective and spiritual perspective is. All you see is Moses' hands. When Moses' hands came down, Joshua lost. When Moses' hand went, Joshua prevailed. Do we understand through this the importance of the prayer closet? Prayer closet. See, this is why the disciples had inside knowledge, unlike the crowds. The crowds came gathering morning till evening, preaching. Wow, what authority. Demons. Ah, demons are living, healing everything. Disciples said, teach us to pray. They knew all this is a result of that. All this is a result of that. This is a man who knows how to preach, so how to pray. This is a man whose life is defined by his prayer life. God is giving us the picture. Joshua 1, because Moses prayed. As simple as that. Joshua 1, because Moses has prayed. And that's what God is talking about. What about your prayer? What about your praise? What about your proclamation? Are your hands up? When your praise comes down, you lose. When your prayer comes down, you lose. When your proclamation comes down, you lose. Life and death is in the power of the, okay, and these all three are from the mouth, from the tongue. Okay, we are given pictures. Pictures understand spiritually how you translate it. Otherwise, the pastor goes, stops on the top of the hill, stands with hands up, nothing is going to happen. But now it is not physical. That was a shadow. The substance is now. You don't have to climb any hill except the spiritual hill of Zion. You don't have to climb any hill. You can sit in your prayer closet in a dungeon and make the earth shake. Like Paul did. He sit in his prison cell and made whole Philippi shake. That's what he did. Okay. While Peter slept in the prison cell, the church prayed and shook. Two different people. Always have an issue with Peter sleeping. <laughs> okay, not Peter. Not you, Peter. Okay, not you, Peter. Okay. But I always will do think about, you will see these little, little issues with Peter. Every time you see Peter is either putting his foot and mouth disease or he is sleeping. 
But God loved Peter and when he finishes Peter, he says, he has spoken. Now I am reiterating you all these things because time has come for me to put this tent away. Okay. So there he stood. There he stood. Moses held up his hand and Israel prevailed. Okay. I like it. Look at verse 11. Read verse 11 again. Yeah. Can we have 11 and 12 together? So that we will understand. 11 and 12 together. So you get the meaning of 11. The deeper spiritual meaning of 11. So it was when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. And Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone. Okay, Moses' hands became heavy. Okay, hands became heavy. But you look at verse 11 and verse 12. What is the difference? When Moses held up his hand. But verse 12 says Moses' hands became heavy. But verse, verse 11 says when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. So there are two hands that I am lifting up. Okay, Two hands that I am lifting up. He says I am lifting up the name of God and the word of God and I am lifting up my hand. But victory is not coming from this. Victory is coming from this. Remember that. The victory is not coming because you pray. Victory is coming because you lifted his name and his word. The battle belongs to the Lord. The victory is the Lord. So when Moses lifted up his hand, not both hands got weary. But this is the hand, not this is not the hand that is bringing victory. This is the hand that is bringing victory. It's not your prayer. It is God who answered prayer. It's not your faith. It is God who moved, who brings victory. Please, under that keeps us humble. Keeps us humble. Otherwise, we'll get fascinated by he's a great preacher. She's a prayer warrior now. It's that hand. That hand. That is bringing the victory. That's the difference there. Moses held up his hand, not his hands. And that Israel prevailed. What God is saying is that without this, this can do nothing. Nothing. You can stand there all day, there will be no victory. This is your prayer life. But even if this tires and you still hold this up, it will still bring victory. Because God found no man. Therefore, his right hand brought out salvation. That is God, not man. He didn't find any man. There was no man there. There was, there was no arm of man to help him. His own arm brought salvation. And that is the beginning till the end of faith. It is of God, and by God, and for God. That's the difference. And this is where we have to be very, 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 very careful, very, very careful that no flesh will boast before God. And verse 12 says, Moses' hand became heavy. And stop there. Moses' hand became, hands became heavy. You need to realize, these are the hands Symbolizing our prayer, our praise, and our proclamation. Whenever this, this hand is raised, there will be immediately a counter-attack by the enemy. Counter-attack by the enemy. Go to Isaiah 61 and verse 3. NIV. Let me have NIV. I hope it is the NIV. Yeah. To console those who mourn in Zion, 
to give them yeah, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When you start praying, you are hit by the spirit of heaviness. That's why people don't survive in the closet. They get out. That's why people don't sit with their word. They cannot. The heaviness comes. Have you noticed you can watch a movie and there's no heaviness? I'm not joking. I'm just seriously saying anything that's entertaining of the world, there's no heaviness. There's no heaviness. Okay. But when it is real spiritual truth, either it is prayer, praise, or proclamation, the word of God, you will see you are hit by the spirit of heaviness. Moses' hand became heavy. Moses' hand became heavy. That's what the Bible says. His hand became heavy. Numbers 11 verse 14. No, the work of God. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Have you noticed this? You go to army, a battalion commander with 100 people or a corps commander with 50,000 people. He doesn't find it heavy. Doesn't find it heavy. Go to an office collector, district collector. Not so heavy for him. Certain, certain times, but he always calls up manpower, this thing and does it. You ask a pastor who's a pastor, you'll always find it's heavy. Because this is the other is all the work of man. This is the work of God, and the burden is too heavy. Burden is too heavy. Because you realize what is demanded from you is not what demanded from the other man. You have to see that they cross over. You have to see the plague doesn't devour them. SP, law and order. DC, administration. And this is none of that. This is something more than that. This is something where you will be called to account in eternity. Moses' hands grew heavy in intercession. His hands grew heavy leading these people, carrying these people. He said, this is a burden. It's a burden. Whenever you are into this, please remember there is a spirit of heaviness. That's why people quit. People quit. Pastors quit. I told you, if you want to look at it as a career, the biggest, largest dropout rate in the world for any career is pastors. Ministry. They quit. So it's just shut down. They quit. It's too heavy. Too heavy. Okay. Fathers quit. You know where fathers quit? Fathers quit their spiritual responsibility. They don't quit the other responsibility. The other responsibility, there is an excitement. There's an excitement. Oh, you see, father, so I want to make my boy into a, such an early morning. Come down, make him, get him on the bike. And the next generation is standing there watching him, this thing and all. They don't quit so easily. When it comes to sports and music, academics, all this, they don't quit. Mothers also don't quit. But when it comes to the spiritual things of the children, they quit. They quit very fast. They quit. They give up. We don't realize until God shows these things that we are spiritual quitters. We are not material quitters. Oh, we, we want those things for our children. Oh, you see, morning, you come early morning like me over here, you will see fathers all with their little fellows. All 
Mother and mother's soul watching. Tennis academy, music academy, this academy. How many trips mothers make? Multitasking, one child basketball coaching, another this thing, all that. You see any of them in their prayer closets? No. They quit. They quit. How quickly they quit. You know why? Because the burden is heavy. It's not easy. People always take spiritual things very lightly. They think this is easy. They don't realize without God, this is the most difficult task in the world to consistently pray, to consistently stand on the word of God, consistently look at things that you are not seeing and yet praise God through it all. You are chained, your legs are chained, you cannot even bend your back, but you will praise God because you have heard there is victory at the end of this. Moses' hands were heavy. So the question is, did we quit? Or did we obey Matthew eleven twenty eight? Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Did we go? You know why do people quit? Because they don't go to the source of strength. There's a fountain there flowing. Fountain there flowing. They're flowing. Fountain there flowing. Let me tell you a secret. That's a secret in mystery secret. There is a Moses who has learned to go to the fountain and drink. One, because he is somebody who has learned of being absolutely dependent upon God. You will see often God comes to him. In so many ways it looks like God is leaning on Moses. I have a nephew when he was small. There was a coconut tree. You know, coconut trees don't always grow straight. They go, grow like this. So he's a little fellow leaning against the coconut tree. So I sent him for his birthday and says, when you were small, you were very strong because the coconut tree was leaning on you. So many times in the, in the, if you go through the record, it looks like as if God is leaning on Moses. Though God is not leaning on Moses, but it will Outwardly it looks like as God is leaning on Moses. You know the picture of Abraham as God the Father, Eliezer as the Holy Spirit, Isaac as Jesus, and Rebecca as the church. Okay? He goes on his knees outside the well at Haran and he prays and Lord the first girl and all that. Then he finishes praying and she comes with her pitcher. Right? What does he do? He runs to her. And says, give me a drink. It's the Spirit of God running to the bride and says, give me a drink. Give me a drink. Picture. That's how it begins. That's how it begins. And it ends in Revelation 22 by the Spirit and the bride and the Spirit says to the come and drink. Okay. Jesus is saying here, you're heavy laden. All who are heavy laden, come to me. Come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Moses' hands were heavy. Hands were heavy. Right? Let's go back. Moses' hands were heavy. Yeah, verse 12. Moses' hands were heavy. So what did they do? They didn't hold his hands up. They didn't do that first. They put a stone under him and made him sit down. They took a stone, 
put it under him and he sat down on it. Please understand procedure. God doesn't hold our hands up first. He doesn't say, oh, come on, don't stop praying. Don't stop praising. Don't stop proclaiming. Sit down. Kuchande. Sit down. Sit down. What is Jesus saying? All those that are heavy burden, come to me. I'll give you more power to praise, to proclaim. He says, I'll give you rest. I'll teach you to sit down. Because God says, all my work proceeds from rest. Not from anxiety. Not from worry. From rest. Sit down. Ephesians 2, 6. That's where every morning you have to wake up and go to that. Raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Jesus. This is a spiritual position. Hebrews 4, 10 and 11. If I'm right. For he who has entered his rest, that is God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works. What are our works? Worry, trouble, anxiety and messing up things. As God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. So the first thing God does is not make us pray, praise, proclaim, fight spiritual battle, put a stone underneath and say sit down. And that stone is Christ. The rock of ages. Sit. Be seated in him. Be seated in him. And every day we have to fight this battle. Our battle is not for solutions to our problems. Every day our spiritual battle is to enter into his rest. Lord, when I went to sleep last night, everything I brought you in the morning and the day is still there when I wake up. I will not be troubled. I will not be moved. I will not be shaken. I will choose to enter into your rest and know you are sovereign. You are in control. And our prayer classes, it's supposed to bring that rest and not more agitation. People are so agitated in their prayer classes because they never hear and they come out even more agitated. But Jesus always came out of his prayer closet at rest. Hmm? That's what I'm talking about. Even in Gethsemane, he came out of rest. He answered three and three times God said no. First time God said no. Three times he said to the same request, to his own son, no, no, no. And he came out addressed. I heard my answer. I got my prayer answered. And Paul also, he's got this demon afflicting his body. We don't even know what it is. So many speculations. But whatever it was, humiliating for a man like him. And three times he asked, three times and God says, and he's coming out excited. Why? God answered my prayer. People get into the prayer closet and they come out agitated because they don't even hear a no. It's only silence. That's why people are agitated. Prayer closet is supposed to, it's a tender meeting. What's your prayer closet? A tender meeting. Tender meeting. It's a tender meeting. At least if you hear and know, Lord, I'm asking you this, what do you say? God says, no. Okay, thank you, Lord. I don't have to waste time over it anymore. <laughs> I heard a no. Let me get into a new prayer request. That is a no. <laughs> How it is, is it a no? That's what God is talking about. Sit down, he said. Sit down. Not more agitation. You know, if you, if you go through the gospel according to John, if you turn to chapter 6, different, different, different miracles Jesus is doing. He's not involving his disciples at all. 
they're watching as trainees, they're all trainees, you know, if you go to a medical college hospital during surgery and post-surgery recovery and all, the, the one, the surgeon, the main guy who come and around him will be all these like little chickens all in their white coats with their wings flapping around, okay. We who were yeah, like simple people who did not know in the beginning thought all doctors, they were all students. Okay, all were students and they'll be always asking, the doctor will say this is and this thing, okay. In the same way, Jesus is the main doctor. These are all trainees. These are all trainees. Then the narrative changes in John chapter 6. That is the feeding of the five. And he says, you feed them. You feed them. And in verse 10, they said, how can we? They bring all the economics and you know, commerce, everything into it. They said, well, what do you have? They said, five loaves. He said, give it to me. And in verse 10, he tells them, make them sit down. Make them. Open your Bibles. A practical lesson. Open your Bibles to John. Gospel according to John. Chapter 1. You look there. You have Jesus' disciples. Chapter 2. Wedding of Cana. Driving out the people. Chapter 3. Nicodemus. Disciples are not there. Chapter 4. He sends them away not to get distracted. Then you have the healing. Chapter 5, it is the healing of that man. You don't even see the disciples there. Chapter 6 is the first time he tells the disciples to do something. And the first thing they tell him, make the people rest. My power works from rest. I know you are agitated. You are all agitated. Five lost two fish, what do we say? Let them sit down. Palpitations are going up, Lord. You are making these people sit down with only five loaves and two fish. The first lesson he teaches them is the lesson of rest. Let them sit down. Sit down. It's a lesson. Because the question is, Peter is causing 50 people to sit down. The question is, are you standing up here or are you agitated? Have you also sat down at his words? I'm at rest because the Lord said, sit down. The Lord is going to provide. You're not looking at your supply at all. You're not even looking. I know in whose hands I placed my provision. Therefore, I can sit down. I know into whose hands I put my problems. I know into whose hands I put my church. I know into whose hands I put my family. Therefore, I can sit down. I can sit down. It's not what they had. What mattered is into whose hands it was put. The five loaves in that boy's hands would feed one man. The five loaves in Philip's hand will feed, Andrew's hand will feed one man. But five loaves in Jesus' hands is going to feed 5,000 plus people. Therefore, I can sit down. I can sit down. Sit down. That's what God is teaching them there. What did they do? Took a stone and Moses sat down. Go back. Moses sat down. Yes. Exodus 17 and verse 12. Moses' hand became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and sat down. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So the question is, two people are mentioned there. 
hell and hurt. What did they do? They supported his hands. The question God asks is, do you support? Do you supplant? Or do you pull down? Watch carefully what they did. Moses is standing like this. Aaron did not say he's tired. Sit down. Give me that rod. I will stand. He didn't do that. That would be supplanting. That would be supplanting. I will stand for two hours. When I'm tired, I'll give it to her. You sit down there. He didn't do that. That is supplanting. They didn't pull his hands down either. So God is asking spiritually, what do you do? Do you supplant my son's arms? That's what the sons of Skiva try to do. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> they said, you? Do you? Are you supporting? Supplanting? Or pulling down? And one of the reasons pastors quit in their hundreds and thousands every year is because the people are not supporting them. Most of the time, they're pulling them down, their hands down, behind their backs. And they think they don't hear, which, which is true, pastors don't hear, but the devil hears. And the pastors don't realize, why is my hand so shaky? Why is my hand, I've got a church of 5,000 people, why is my hand so shaky? Because most of them are pulling his hands down. Message is too long, I don't like what he said. He was looking at me, don't you know about his family? They're pulling his hands down all the time. And the devil hears. The devil hears. The devil. Because this is spiritual. And he gets attacked. And before you know, the spirit of heaviness is upon him. The spirit of heaviness is upon him. And he wants to quit. What's the point? Okay. Also need to realize, most people of God, servants of God, are neither like Moses or Paul, who have had Powerful personal encounters with God. And so we'll stand alone even if everybody quits. Most of them are like Aaron. We'll flow whichever way the crowd goes. So they cannot handle pressure. They quit. They quit. The Bible does, does not also say they held his hand on one side and the other. That's not what it says. It says yes, and his hands were steady. Stand, say, steady. Come here, Peter. Come here, Peter. Now you are Moses, okay? Okay, stand there. Put your hands up. You know how why his Moses' hands were steady? Because they held his hands like this. It's not her standing like this. He's holding both his hands to see it is up. That's why his hands were steady. Meaning her and Aaron gave their ev every inch of strength of their body. Okay, they say a single horse can pull up to, let us say, 8,000 pounds. Not 8, 800 pounds. I don't know, I read it in pounds, so I don't know, I can't say it in the kilos. And another horse, a bigger horse, can pull up to 1,000 pounds. But put it together, they can pull 2,500. It should be 1,800, right? But that's not how it works. Okay, they gave their entire, 
what is Aaron giving his entire strength to hold one hand up? What is her doing? He's giving his entire strength to hold one hand up. Therefore, his hands were steady till evening. That's what God is talking about. Will you give your everything to hold up that hand? Because if his hands are steady, then you win. If Joshua dies, you also die. <laughs> That's what God is talking about. Steady. Otherwise, our hands will droop. It will fall. And what will happen? Defeat will take place in the valley. In the valley. Now that's basically what's happening. Prayer closets are left empty. When prayer closets, the hands come down. Can you think about a point when that two hands in the Holy of Holies starts coming down? Jesus' hands starts coming down. The Spirit starts withdrawing. The plague starts killing. The hands are done. God says it's over. Do you understand the picture that is coming here? The picture that's coming also. And that's what God is talking about. Our hands steady? Are our hands steady? Are we there as supportive ministry to uphold the hands of the church, the leadership? Otherwise, what happens if they lose? If they lose? Just think about it, GTC, if I quit. And Pastor Vijay says, you're quitting, I'm also quitting. GTC is gone. People will go to 500 different churches. It's gone. Different churches they will go to. And most of them will scatter. Many will get disappointed. They'll go back to those dead churches they came from and they will die there. And think about it at the simple level. The simple level. At the home level. Prayer closets are left empty. Why? Because mommies are more busy making money and building a career. Or daddies are consumed by their work and their toys. Men like their toys. And they forget to lift up holy hands. Because men are asked to lift up holy hands. See, I had uh, had, uh, two incredible models before I came to the Lord. One was my dad. He became alcoholic, but he was not alcoholic. He was like a super duper man he was. Spoke little, read, righteous in his ways, everything. Very disciplined. Never would change his habits. His meals were always the same. Never tried, never ate from outside. Never liked any of those things. Okay, was always dressed like this. No stripes, nothing. Okay, all kind of stuff which he ingrained. Okay, and my job as a little boy was to first job was to polish his shoes. And he used to always say that I should see my face on my shoes. Okay, all these things. Second one was my grandfather. Exactly the opposite when it came to habits. Meaning, he never smoked ever in his life. Nothing, no drink, nothing. Thing, absolutely not even a Pepsi, a soda, nothing. Now, and soda I used to drink, you know, the old soda I used to like, but otherwise, nothing. Old. Grandfather, exactly like my father, eating habits are exactly the same, would never eat from outside, very systematic. Righteous man, spoke very little, read all the time, all that. But neither of them were really believers. With all this discipline, my gr- grandfather, 
at 6, 6.30 in the evening, he will take his walking stick and he will go. Yes, a club. One few times I went with him as a little boy, where his old set of old timers sit around. And for two hours, they will play cards. No gambling, just play cards. Okay. That is his habit until he was not able to walk. Old timers all sit there and they play cards. They have their club and they will play. What I am talking about is even the worldly righteous men left their prayer closets empty. So their children perished. Can be the most disciplined man. Disciplined and righteous work. My father was like unbelievably righteous in his work ethics. Would never have timings, work, workload, corruption, nothing. Fair as a principle, everything. But if you look, no prayer life at all. Prayer closet, empty. Mothers, hardworking, sacrifice, everything. Prayer closet, empty. What happens to the next generation? They are defeated. Amalekites eat them up. What is Amalek? Your flesh. The flesh will eat them up. They lose that battle. We need to realize, what is the answer God is saying? Get back into your closet. Get back into your closet. Hang in there. See the hands are steady. Otherwise, the children will be consumed in the valleys. Our hands steady. But God is merciful. Incredibly merciful. There was a young man, abandoned by everybody, and attacked by everybody. His mother died when he was young. His father's life was messed up because he had wives and concubines and many children. His elder brothers hated him. Hated him. But God was with him. One of the final verses, shall I have it in NIV? Genesis 49, 23 and 24. Come here, Peter, again. Genesis 49. With bitterness, archers attacked him. Who are the archers? His own brothers and Potiphar and Mrs. Potiphar. Everybody. They shot at him with hostility. But his bow remained steady. His strong arms limber. Why? Because there was another hand beneath that. It was the hand of the mighty one of Jacob. Because of the shepherd of the rock of Israel. To ultimately, you look at all these things and you realize in spite of everything the devil did through man to destroy you, you end up with your arms steady and your bow remains steady. It's because not of the strength of your arms or the discipline in your life or your prayer life and all. Unseeing, there was another hand. That was the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, the shepherd, the rock of Israel. And this is Jacob's final words to Joseph. Joseph, you have become the pinnacle of success. You have reached here. You have reached the top. Everyone calls you blessed. You are a blessing to everyone. And you have stood, withstood every test, every trial. Don't forget, it was not you. It was my God who held you. Last lesson, son, from this old father. I am old. I am dying. I still see and hear better than you. It's my God, the God of Jacob, the mighty one of Jacob, because the shepherd, the rock of Israel. His final words. It is that hand that held you. Never let pride get into your heart, son. 
Let not success get into your heart or your head. It is the God of Israel that kept your hands steady. And that's why there is a herd's hand. There is, if you look at verse 12, there is Aaron's hand. But what you don't see is another hand. That is the hand of God that is holding Moses' hands. It's, not, huh? it's all this are there. But beneath all this is the everlasting arms of God. Everlasting arms of God. Never forget that. That's what is holding it all up. And what does verse 13 say? So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. As I close, only three times in the entire record in the Bible, as far as I know, only three times. Always two times are here. Who is mentioned? Her is mentioned. You know, Heron. Heron has got an office. It's big. Moses' brother, high priest, everything. Her is mentioned here twice. And then later when Moses is going, he says, Aaron and her will be there. If you have any this thing, talk to Aaron or her. You don't see her after that. You don't see her anywhere. But you see, we know Aaron. That is the visible people you see in ministry. And there is a represented by an invisible set of people who are never recognized in this life. Never recognized. But they have prayed and played an equally important role in the kingdom of God's advancement as those who are recognized. Aaron is a recognized side of ministry. We even know them. Worship leaders and this one and prayer. All these people are there. These people you never see. Never see. Heart is never seen. It's never mentioned in the Bible after that. And God says, it takes these two to hold Moses' hands up. Meaning, Moses is the representative of Christ over there. The one who makes forever, makes intercession. There's a known set of people in the world whom the world knows. There's an unknown set of people whom God knows. Both have partnered with Jesus Christ, co-laborers with Christ for the advancement of the kingdom. And I will not forget either of these leaders. They will be remembered. You know how they are remembered? Go to the book of Exodus. 31 verses 1 to 3. The Lord said to Moses, saying, you know what? He is going to build the tabernacle. See, I have called Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And what I have done to him? I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge. Who is this? The grandson of her. See, there are two Levites and one from Judah. He's not a Levite. Moses is a Levite. Aaron is a Levite. Well, somebody from another tribe. But he says, you know, I will not forget his labor of love. I'll not forget his labor of love. And his grandson is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he is ultimately, if you were to ask, who, mean, who heard from God in the temple? Moses. Who did all the sacrifices and the thing, the Holy of Holies? Aaron. Who built it? Who built it? Heart's grandson. So all three played a role. All played a role. All three played a role. And that's what God is talking about. All, all these people are important. And God says, keep your hands steady. Don't forget the primary lesson 
So, today's title as a close is, Can you stand between the dead and the living? In your prayer closet. Can you stand between the dead and the living? Shall we pray? Father, we just come to you this morning. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, God. Everyone is called. Everyone is called to praise, to pray, and to proclaim. You have ascended to the holy hill Zion. You are standing there with your arms uplifted, lifted up, forever making intercession for all those who come to you. For the world lacks an Aaron and a her. People will quietly ascend the hill along with you. Stand beside you and hold your hands on earth. People will partner with those who are called. People will be co-laborers with Christ. Some known, many unknown, but both faithful. Her was as faithful as Aaron. He had no robe. He was not called to any position. He was not set apart like Aaron or his sons. But on that day when Israel fought their first battle, he was there beside Aaron, holding Moses' hands. And Moses' hands were steady. And Joshua fought till sundown. We have to stand there. We have to fight this battle until the sun goes down. Until the end of day. The end of the sixth day is here. And we are all called to stand till the end. And I pray, Lord, today, all the people who are here, even those who came in in the recent past weeks, they'll put their minds of all these things that concern this life. Put their minds and heart on things that concern God and His kingdom. Enter into their prayer closet with that heart and they will hear. Suddenly they will realize they will hear that God will speak to any man, any woman, any child who puts God and his kingdom first. He will speak. Whether it's an old man like Moses at 80 or a young boy like Samuel who puts his head near the ark and goes to sleep, they both will hear. Because when we put the king and the kingdom first, the king will speak. And I pray then we will be at rest. Once you have heard the master's voice, our king's voice, then the subjects will have rest. Then we will be steady. Our hands also will be steady. They'll be able to stand between the living and dead and the plague will stop. Our children will stop being eaten away by this world and destroyed by the enemy. And I pray today as I pray, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters will all rise and say, yes, I understand my purpose. I've been called to pray. And I will be faithful in that. I will pray. And I will pray. And I will be pray. I'll be her. Nobody has to see me. Nobody has to know me. But I will pray. And my God has promised, I will not forget your labor of love. My children, my grandchildren, will come off the streets. And they will be filled of the Holy Spirit. And they will be part of the building of the kingdom. And I will see that. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Oh, how great must have been the joy of her that day when he heard God speak through Moses. I have chosen the son of Uri 
the son of Ur and filled him with the Holy Spirit and wisdom and skill. How great must have been the joy of their grandfather to know his grandson has been chosen for one of the greatest tasks on earth to build the first tabernacle from where you would speak to man. Father, help us to know that our work will never be lost. There is a God who rewards. So I pray the spirit of prayer and supplication will even now fall upon all the people around the world who are listening and will listen. And they will be found faithful in their prayer closet. Expecting nothing, hoping nothing, except the next generation will win that battle against Amalek. That's our prayer. That's our joy. To see another generation rise and win this battle. And the glory will belong to our God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.